You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and we are continuing our limited series, The Check-In. This week, we're circling back with our guest from episode 70, certified life coach and author, Al Hardy. Since his first appearance on the show, Al has gone through both professional and personal changes. So let's see what he's been up to. Al, welcome back to the December 26er podcast. How are you? I'm doing awesome, doing awesome. How are you? Doing all right. You know, you're one of our favorite guests in the history of the show. So it's really a great day to be able to sync with you and just check in and see how things are going. Thank you. Thank you. I I truly appreciate this time. I appreciate you guys reaching back out so that we can connect. Um, Yeah, I'm just excited uh, just to catch up, um, just to see how you're doing, just to kind of let you know about what's happening with me. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm just kind of excited. Cool. So for those who don't know, We are doing a limited series called The Check-In, where we're just circling back with some of our guests to see how life has been for them, particularly in the last year, as we've all had to make several adjustments given this pandemic that we're we're living under. So Al, you first came on the show uh, for episode 70, Mm -hmm. which feels like a lifetime ago at this point. And then we did a crossover episode with your podcast, Al's Chicken and Waffles, back. It was episode 132, which has been in the past year and has actually been one of our most popular episodes from the pandemic, believe it or not. So, so people, people enjoy the Al Hardy conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, you ask uh, thoughtful questions and I think, you know, they, we have honest, open and honest conversation. So, you know, I'm able to, uh, well, on one of my podcasts, they said, I, I, hopefully, and I pray that this, I, I lead with vulnerability. And uh, so, so, but you also, we, you know, you also open up and share things that's been happening with you. So I think this is a, a great, uh, a great time just to kind of just catch up. And you know what I love about you, Mr. Al Hardy, I'm going to call you by your professional stage name, is you do lead with vulnerability, but also you listen with that same vulnerability. So you are always open to a woman's point of view, even if we may see the world differently in in certain ways. I love how thoughtfully you approach your inquiries and thoughtfully approach dialogue. And we know you facilitated conversations, particularly between black men and women, which I love. So it's just the way you, you know, the swag that you bring, bro. It's the the calm, the calming nature that you have and just willing to have a healthy dialogue. I appreciate that. You know, uh, (laughs) with everything that's happening uh, via, I guess, the internet with, with certain personalities, I think, you know, (laughs) us being able to, (laughs) to listen to one another is is very very important you know? yes the, the internet is on fire right now um with with let's say individuals who have had strong points of view about the the male female dynamic yeah and and i think i think it's it's harmful in one way but i think it's help, helpful in the other way um mm-hmm. to be able to kind of bring these two varying uh thought process and and the crazy thing is is by is by two men you know together you know, um, so I think that is a uh, awesome is bringing like I think we just have to have that conversation, uh, that that healthy dialogue, because it's getting like it is emotional for some, you mm-hmm. know? but I think uh, 
the point is, it's like when you look at one person point, point of view, it was very uh, harsh. Uh, I mean, I, I would say both of them was harsh, one towards men and one towards women, right? Uh, but uh, they're talking to the problem. They're talking to a lot of the pain, to a lot of the trauma. They're talking to stats that we kind of, if you're doing the work, you kind of already know. So now it's time for conversations like what you and I have to help to bring the solution, right? So um, so I think, you know, when you stay on message, you know, I just think that we will keep chipping away at what we could do with, especially with Black love, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So I know pre-pandemic, you were facilitating these healthy conversations mm-hmm. offline as well between Black men and, and Black women and promoting healthy Black love. You and I have talked a lot about relationship dynamics and what it means to date and what does it mean for professionals to date and mm-hmm. but particularly professional women. Um, and how has that, are you still facilitating that conversation in light of us all being home or is that on hold for you right now? Uh, it's kind of been on hold because it's, so for, for, for me, the, just the shirts, my, my merchandise, like, especially during last year with, um, the racial unrest, it kind of just took, uh, you know, it just kind of went, went skyrocketed, uh, or just did better than I, I expected. So that was one thing. So I had to kind of learn how to manage that. Um, so I brought my brother on board um, to help me, to give me some back-end type of help. Uh, but the message is still there. Um, we talked a little bit earlier. I wrote a book, and it's called Jack of All Trades, Master of One. And it's uh, keying into uh, us as men, right? Uh, us being more uh, self-aware, us uh, being mission-oriented, uh, vision-oriented, I think. Uh, in these conversations, what what happens is is us as men, uh, we come to the to the table with lacking skills, communication skills, healthy communication skills, and that's a uh, and that's a result of us not knowing what it is that we want, um, not knowing where we're going, not having any vision, uh, enough vision for you know what I mean for for our family. Uh, sometimes we just look uh, internally and in things that we want for ourselves. A lot of times, uh, our uh, dynamic in uh, the black home, uh, we kind of look for to take care of our moms, right? <laughs> you know, to take care of our elder generation. So that is a fight, right? That's a fight, you know, because on one end we're supposed to have vision for our future, but then on the other end we're looking backwards. You know, what I mean, trying to repair the harm that, you know, uh, the trauma that our family has, has gone through, you know? So, you know, so sometimes us as men, we're in a, in a quandary, you know what I mean? So we feel as though I take care of myself, I take care of my mom and I take care of my children. And that kind of leaves our sisters, uh, you know, out to dry sometimes. And what you, and the result of that is what you see is you see women, like you see women, black women, particularly saying, you know what, I got to do this on my own. And now you guys are getting together, you're banding together, and you know, and you're becoming, uh, and I'm using it tongue in cheek, you're becoming independent <laughs> women, you know what I mean? And our, our family dynamic, we don't necessarily need uh, independence I, I, at this point. We need to be interdependent, working together. And uh, I'm, I'm in a relationship now, and one thing uh, with the 
with a strong sister, uh, uh, but but a beautiful, vulnerable sister too. So, um, but one of the things I talk about is um, we we I share with her, and we kind of agree upon is that um, in this culture, uh, independence leaves you independent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When this 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 society is when you see success, you see institutionalized success on any level. Marriage is an institution. So um, so when we start thinking in that regard, you know what I mean, from a wealth perspective, from even from a love perspective, um, um, from a generational perspective, I think we'll start being in a healthier, better, better space. So I think it starts with us as men. We have to let, take a lot of inward uh, inventory and we just have to just keep on doing the work. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of where we're at right now. So, you know, you and I have spoken in the past about this specific dynamic with strong, focused, independent women and men trying to figure out where they fit. What Mm -hmm. do you think has made your current relationship blossom uh, and and remain as something healthy so far? Uh, I think it's prior to both of us meeting is us doing the work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The the internal, uh, the self-inventory, you know, us being like me being able to say, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. This is what I want for myself. Um, and then for me, uh, it's prayer, uh, really, uh, you know, tapping into the spiritual aspect of things, um, knowing where my strengths are. And then I think the other part is uh, praying for somebody to come in and help me where I am uh, I don't have the necessary strength at, you know what I mean? Where I'm not as strong uh, and then vice versa, you know what I mean? So I think, uh, but I think that for me, is, that started with prayer. Um, but then it, it was the work that we kind of did uh, prior to, and then knowing who we are, you know, I think a lot of times we want to date somebody uh, who we think is the same as us you know they want we want the same in every area you know but no you know we we complement each other because where i'm weak where i where i'm not as strong she kind of compliments me she 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 sees my blind spots and vice versa you know what i mean so uh so that's kind of where we at and i think you have to we have to look at that dynamic also the reason i say that is because like if you're going to partner with anybody you know, you don't want to have, the, you don't want two of you. you Absolutely. Know? So, so, but, so if we could do that in business, I think we also have to consider that in, uh, in relationships too, but there has yeah. to be some foundational things that we do agree upon. You know what I mean? Right. I always feel like, you know, core values are important. You have those things that are the ties that bind, um, mm-hmm. that are the commonalities, but I think where we have run afoul in relationships is, we look at someone else's strengths mm-hmm. as a, a spotlight onto our weakness, as opposed to an asset, right? To say, we're not in competition. We're here mm-hmm. to help each other. Mm-hmm. And there are things that you bring to the table that I just don't have. Mm-hmm. And that's that's for the benefit of the both of us. Yeah. Uh, but that, that foundational work has to be done where we re- approach relationships from a place of collaboration and building together, yeah. as opposed to entering it with this sort of opposition that we both have something to prove, right? Or bringing in this old baggage of past pain that hasn't been resolved or past 
familial trauma, relationship trauma, all of that. So I think that foundational piece is absolutely key. But and, and, and this is the deal, too. I think even if you do bring that into a relationship, you have to know it's there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're, we are, we'll push things to the side and then you have somebody here who could help to help heighten your, your awareness of what it is you need help with. And then we'll fight them. You know what I mean? <laughs> we'll fight them, argue with them, and then we'll deny what is actually a blessing for us. And then ultimately, we don't want to stay there. We want to move forward. You know, and I think and I, I think that's why I wrote the book is because as men, we have to understand, uh, have this mission oriented type of uh, out, outset on onset of what it is that we want. You know what I mean? Not And not necessarily for just for us, for because there is a benefit and a result, but then for uh, the people that we're connected to, th- for the next generation, I think we have to start thinking generationally um, because it's not just about us, it's about what we're going to leave, the, leg- the legacy that we're going to leave. Absolutely. So what was the book writing process like? You know, some authors, they're like, I had all these revelations and epiphanies and I just focused and the book was done in two months. And others say this is a labor of love or a passion project I've been working on for years that finally came to fruition. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Um, it was something that I just had to do, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, so on, on one end, uh, the the process was I've done, I've talked, you know, I talked to young men um, and I kind of just saw... Um, where we kind of struggled, right? Um, and then personally, I saw where I struggled and, and the, uh, the, 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 the threading line, the, the thing that, that was always uh, the same or the, the, the same story that I, I saw a lot was uh, finishing, right? Starting, stopping, and not necessarily finishing. Um, so that's one aspect of things. So the, the writing process um, for me, the writing process for me was, uh, was it started with a letter that my father wrote to me when I was 15 years old. Um, and he gave me, like, like we talked about before, core principles. I have a great relationship with my father at times. You know, I felt as though we could communicate a little bit more or, but he's always been there. And I saw that young men didn't necessarily have that father figure. Um, they didn't have that voice. Um, so uh, it started there, and then it went to me. It finished with me uh, talking about how I finished uh, the New York City Marathon. And uh, so in that, uh, I just have, like, small little life lessons that we could take take away. Um, it's a small read. Is I think is an easy read. I tried to make the book a little bit small for young men. Not for young men, but it's really for men transitioning, Right. Uh, you know, going from good to great. And I always wanted to be a reference. So uh, so you can kind of go back. So I've, I've had these little things that I've uh, kind of antidotes. Uh, I was talking to a couple of people, they, they went, as they've been reading it, it says real anecdotal. So, um, so that's kind of how I outlined everything. So it didn't take me that long to write it. The editing process, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what took more time. Um, you know, I self-published it. So this, I tried to do everything. And from a business perspective, I try to keep everything self-contained right now until 
you know, we could build and grow and, and find the right partners, uh, you know, to grow what it is that we're trying to do. So that's kind of my process. But the process of writing was really step by step. It started with my father expounding upon that, starting with uh, me going, finding, looking for a school to go to when I was young, people who inspired me um, and, you know, just building upon that. And then, like I said, it finished with the marathon. So did you find reflecting on your own life journey and writing about it to be cathartic for you? Um, yeah. So some, some, some things I just didn't, I, I forgot all about, but when I had a point, it just came to mind. Um, it was, um, I think that the, the, the major thing is I've seen like me when I do my, my talks or my speeches or, uh, my conversations with young men, I see what, uh, what things resonate with them. You know what I mean? Um, so I kind of based everything off of that. Uh, but then also, uh, you know, the real reason I really wrote this is because I have three sons. And, um, you know, so this is kind of a, a, a legacy piece. Like, you know, so something that my father wrote to me was a letter. I wanted to continue with, with, with a book so that they're able to look at it and they could kind of go back. So that's kind of that's who I kind of wrote it for. And so, you know, we've talked about you being married before and, mm-hmm. you know, being married young and, and getting out of that marriage and now being a co-parent. Has co-parenting had to adjust? Have you had to adjust in that process at all in the last year being in this pandemic? Are there how has that changed your family dynamic, if at all? Uh, yeah, so it it started off very, very well, you know, um, you know, we were communicating very healthily then, you know, then it kind of went into a different direction due to uh, miscommunication. And so I think it's just really uh, keeping the lines of communication open and uh, focusing on the health of the children. But I think one thing that as men that we do have to kind of really uh, focus on too is making sure that the health of our co-parent is is right mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Um, and sometimes you might not be able to communicate that. Um, but I think, like I said before, through prayer, you know, I try to always pray for her. Um, I try to let her know that I am praying for her. Everything that I say I'm going to do, I try to uh, deliver and execute. Um, so when miscommunication does happen, you know, you just have to fall back on your routines and your systems that you have in place for yourself, for your children, and also for her. So, um, so I think those are things that, you know, we, we just have to kind of work through as, as men. So you might not be as talking as much, but showing up, being available, um, you know, if it's, if it's giving money, you know, doing that. Uh, so just, just being as consistent as you can, you know what I mean? No matter how the response from another party is. And that's, and and that's tough. That's stuff that we have to work through. I have to work through, you know what I mean? Because at times it's like, it's still a relationship. Things can be good, but then, you know, it can go off kilter and then that can affect how your children see you or, or what it is that they're hearing and not necessarily saying that's what happened, but you know, on it, for men, like, you know, depending on the environment that they're in, 
they could <laughs> they could be uh giving unhealthy information to our children about their mom. So, you know, so we just have to be mindful of, about that and just stick into a system of routine and uh, and kind of not leaving the emotion out of it. But if you have to, that's that's what you have to do. And, you know, I'm speaking from personal experience now uh, and also having spoken to dozens of, of women about this. When a co-parent situation goes left and you are in a relationship with one half of that co-parenting situation, sometimes the the difficulty from the co-parent problem can really sift and seep into the new relationship that you have. And a lot of women can have difficulty with that, you know, understanding that that co-parenting, that that is a relationship. And then now we're in a relationship over here. And and where do I fit? Where do I have opinions? How do we keep ourselves healthy when things may not be going great over there for you? How do you maintain health in your current relationship while also having to navigate these co-parenting waters? Well, I mean, I'm blessed because uh, the young lady that I'm, uh, that I'm in a relationship with right now, she, she kind of understands that because... He's been through that that process, um, but I think it's also uh, she has a personality that's really kind of even kill. So it, you know, she'll kind of just give me her thoughts, and she kind of removes her emotion <laughs> out of the situation. So uh, I think that that's very helpful to me. You know what I mean? Because you know, for me, I'm trying to protect all parties. You know what I mean? But she understands that and she's trying to do the same thing. Um, so so I think the, the part is, is that uh, I feel as though she's there for me. I know that she's here. Um, she's here to listen. Um, I'm not asking her to do much of anything else, but to, to be there for me. Um, now, if she wants to, to do more, that's a benefit, not just to me, but to my children and even to, to my ex-wife, but, you know, um, but we're still, you know, kind of working through that, um, as it pertains to just, you know, just that communication piece. But, you know, like I said, um, she's very supportive as it pertains to me. And that's, and that's all I, I, I really, you know, need. And it wasn't really even asked for, you know, she, she brings stuff up. So, but, you know, that's a lot of her self-work that she's done. So, you know, it's not something that I could take <laughs> any credit for you know, that's, that's, that's her. So, mm-hmm. so, but everybody isn't that mature. Everybody doesn't have that skill set because that's a skill set. And, you know, and I'm not saying maturity and skill set is synonymous. I'm just saying that, you know, you just, just stuff that you just have to work through, you know, um, I think, you know, we have to understand that people come with stuff. They come with, uh, with trauma, they come with issues. And, uh, but if you care about somebody, you love somebody, you, you try to work, you try to help them, you try to pray for them, where it's not even, it doesn't harm you. So, uh, so you know, so I think she's been very, very helpful in that regard. So I, there's nothing I can take credit of. But I, I think there's something that you should take credit for, because, well, A, that's a very mature woman, but also the fact you said something that I think is is noteworthy in that you said, I she listens, she supports, I'm not really asking any more of her. It, you know, if she wants to do more, that's great. And and I think that speaks to the work that you've done as well to know, okay, 
this is something that I have to deal with. Inevitably, we're merging lives. So there is some intersectionality there, but I don't expect more than more from her, right? That then she's required to give. Anything extra is really just an added bonus. And I think that is where the internal work and the consistent internal work on both parts is so important, right? To maintain that healthy balance. Because you're right, we're all coming with some form of baggage and history and other people and all these other things. Um, but not, I think the key is not expecting the other party to fill some void or play some role that they really didn't sign up for. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, so I think that that's the communication. That's how I try to communicate it. Just, uh, you know, <laughs> I appreciate, you know, just your effort, just you wanting to listen and and even give me insight, you know. So I think that's that's key. And then anything else is is really an added benefit, not just to me, but to 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 the whole my whole family unit and, and dynamic. Um. So yeah, yeah. And and I and I think too, what what we have to do is we have to also teach and and coach people about who we're connected to. So um. So like for instance, you know, my family. You know, I give her a a, a basic kind of understanding of you know, just my family dynamic, you know what I mean? Like for, for instance, like my brother, my parents, you know what I mean? How, what, what their role is with me, their dynamic, how we interact, uh, my friends, you know, and then I do the same thing, you know, with my friends and my family with her, you know what I mean? I tell, I I let them know, you know, who she is. I think, you know, so it's not just a hard uh, introduction, you know what I mean? Because when, when that happens, you know, then it could, it could cause, you know, the first impression sometimes is a lasting impression. Absolutely. So we just have to coach our our family and friends on who who's coming into our space. For sure. And, you know, shifting gears a bit, we talked a lot in our first meeting, our first interview about your, your career and the work you do as the Dean of Students at Marion P. Thomas Charter School in Newark. And the school at this point is, is known for the work that they do in the community mm-hmm. and all of the ancillary support that they provide to students. Mm-hmm. Obviously, education has shifted dramatically mm-hmm. in the last year as we've all been quarantined. So how did that affect the way of strategize to, to support your students who may have been at home, you know, and may still be at home? That's a great question. Uh, since then, I've got a new position. Um, I'm the recreation director in Hillside, New Jersey now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I'm still dealing with 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 children. Um, but more more. But you know, I, we focus on children, programming for children um, outside of school, but also you know adults. So I, I have a, a a wider range of of people that I have to uh, to, to work with. Um, I think it's tough though, right? So I miss being around the kid, like the social. So the the mayor that I, I work under, she says, though we're not uh, physically, though we're physically distant, doesn't mean we have to be socially distant. So um, so we try to provide different type of programming, uh, like movies in the park. You know, when it was nice, we do a bike a bike ride, cycling ride. Uh, you, you and Demarcus got to come out. We're doing one soon. Um, so we try to do things that socially distant, but you can still be in each other's presence. But 
it's difficult. It's difficult. We we did something for, in, in town called the Clean Team, man, where we had kids cleaning up the township throughout the summertime, right? Um, so it's different. Uh, is is it's just a, a new normal that we we've we've had to kind of work through. Right now, you know, I'm getting calls like, when are we going to open back up? Um, and it's tough because we're really not going to because the numbers are still kind of high in our town. So uh, the parks are still closed. Uh, our programming is still shut down. So, but kids want to get out, you know, kids want to get out. I think the, the thing too is having a healthy outlet for our parents and giving them coping skills, manage, managing skills, uh, teaching them, giving them just even life skills on how to have a routine, how to have order, um, how to set a space for and time for the for their children to to learn. You know, it's, but it's tough though. It's tough. You have to get out. You have to exercise. You have to drink water. You know, people are gaining weight. Um, I was just talking to somebody. He's a uh, and it, he's a, a salsa instructor, and you know, and we was just sharing how. Uh, how people uh, he he would do a class once a once a week um, in different locations. So he'll be working, and he was just saying that that distance people have been depressed. Um, even I've heard of just like domestic violence going up. So it's uh, it's a lot. I think we have to give people our outlet, and it goes back to us developing skills, giving people skill set. Um, on how to interact, communicate with each other, uh, letting people know how you feel. Because it's tough. You, you're in the house with somebody that you really haven't really talked to, you know, that much. You've had to learn how to communicate in a healthy way. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> you, you learn about yourself and then you learn about who you're connected to, from the kids all the way to relationships. So... Um, it's, it's just been kind of, it's just been tough, you know? Absolutely. And speaking to the new chapter in your career, was it difficult to make that decision to take a new job? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, I kind of wanted to finish what I started, but, uh, it was just, a a, a better opportunity, um, on multiple levels. I have a little bit more freedom. I can implement the type of programs that I want to implement. So I think I have more range in, in that area, right? Um, I could I could kind of show off more of my leadership skills. Uh, the, the difficult part coming into this position, though, was uh, understanding the political landscape of things. Though I'm a recreation director, I'm still working in government. I'm, well, I'm working in government now. And, you know, so understanding that dynamic it's uh it was a learning curve you know what i mean because i just thought you know i'm working with kids and then i i, I got a quick lesson like no 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 <laughs> no there are certain there's certain protocol that you have to adhere to there's certain people that you have to kind of shake hands and and understand there's certain people that that say yay and nay you know what i mean so you know so i had to learn that that whole aspect of things um so it's 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 gotten me I think a little bit more insight on leadership, um, on how to navigate uh, learning personalities, who to talk to, who not to talk to, why I shouldn't be talking to certain people, 
why or why I should be talking to certain people. You know what I mean? Because if you have a vision, you don't want anybody to stand in the way of that vision. So I think it's, it's healthy. And I think also, I think this is a major thing that we have to think about with the pandemic, right? In schools. Um, I think uh, we, we're fighting for injustice in every area, but our schools have been failing our children. Um, so I'm kind of glad to kind of be not as much wrapped up in that type of system um, because, uh, because our schools from the curriculum to the people that make decisions for our children have been doing harm to our children. Um, and it's been in a systematic way. So I think we have to look at it from, um, I wish we just had more resources, right? As black people, and I'm speaking specifically to black people and people in urban poor neighborhoods, right? That where we could homeschool our children and take our kids out of that system and, and learn and build an ecosystem around our family. It, I, I think that type of, that type of thought, that type of system, that type of process will be uh, revolutionary because now the, the powers that be that's in education, they have to change, right? Because the way the school system, the way the classroom is set up isn't conducive for uh, a child. You know what I mean? You have to sit, you know, 45 minutes listening to, to something uh, that uh, to, a, to a teacher who might not, is, he might understand the text, but doesn't know how to teach the text. You know what I mean? He doesn't know how to apply it to uh, a twelve a twelve year old who listens to uh, pop smoke, or you know who who's more influenced by TikTok and uh, than uh, than what it is that he's teaching. You know what I mean? So teachers have had to adjust. Some some teachers have done good at that, but you know, all in all, you know the the system is is broken. So so I. That, I think that we have to really readjust our thinking as a people. Like I think that should be one of the biggest protests, you know, that we that we should, you know, we. Sh- I mean, it's so much with, with black people, but you know, our babies aren't learning at a at a rate that's competing not just with white white people, um, but competing globally. You know what I mean? Like when you look at, let's just say, like. Listen, uh, and I don't want to. I want to say it like if you look at Fiverr, right? You know, the people that are uh, getting these jobs aren't from the U.S. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but they're able to. If they was to come over here, they'll be in the market, and their value in the marketplace will be so much more than our children or the mm-hmm. people graduating. So these are things that we have to really look at. You know, so. It's a broken system and we have to really uh, address. So thinking about that as someone who's been within the system and now is within a government system, which, as you alluded to, has its own challenges. How do you maintain a sense of optimism of you know where we're headed as a people? Uh, I think with things that, that you're doing, right? Um, I think uh, we have the Internet and we have entrepreneurs and so we have to find uh, ways to educate our own. Uh, so somebody like yourself, we have to watch, listen to your podcast. And we have to uh, support it. We have to, you know, so we want the numbers to go high, right? And then 
We want to also, if it's uh, if it's on YouTube, buying a badge or something like whatever it is that you're doing, supporting, supporting because we have a connection to you, but we also know that you're going to educate, right? So, um, and then your connections, like hopefully you can build an ecosystem around what it is that you're doing to help empower uh, our moms, our dads, like uh, our our family unit, you know what I mean? And giving us the right information to take our, our family uh, forward. So I'm using you as an example because I believe that entrepreneurship is very, very important, right? Uh, entrepreneurship and apprentice work. I think those are the things that work hand in hand. You know, uh, I think the other part too is, is that we, we there are uh, models, like for instance, Google is starting a, a system where you can learn a skill set for $250. You know what I mean? So, so, so for some people, for some of our kids, I'm going to say it like that, uh, we we could get them, we could uh, shorten the gap if we give them a skill set. A, a lot of times our children don't have skills uh, in certain things. So um, I think entrepreneurship is something that a lot of people are, are pushing, but we have to do it, I think, uh, intentionally uh, by giving back, giving, you know, opening doors for our children, you know? So I, I think that's, that's the way we do it because um, when you look at education and when you look at government, there's so many, there's so much red tape that you have to go through to get something passed. But now if I know the person who's, who, who's an entrepreneur um, and I support them, I help them build something. And now that number one, that gives, that opens up a job for, for somebody Um and then that opens up them to make money to if they want to go to college. That's something that they could do. Um, so it's so many, it's so many more things that you could do through entrepreneurship that I don't even think we kind of tapped into. Agreed. And I think we need to change the narrative. You know, our generation, it was like get good grades, go to college, get a stable job, work there, get mm-hmm. your pension, but when pensions still existed, <laughs> you know, everywhere. Um, and retire. And we need to change that messaging, even though a lot of us did it, creating opportunities for our, our, the next generation, our children and our children's children to be able to make informed decisions about what they want for them and having the wealth creation and the flexibility to say, no, you know, I want to take some time off and explore this business idea or build out this technology. Mm -hmm. And that be, that being an acceptable path in our community and one uh, where there's a probability for success. And we have a lot of work to do to get there, I think. I think there's a small percentage of the Black population that is opening that lane for their children. But I I completely agree with you that entrepreneurship and pursuing alternative paths is really the way. Yeah, and I think I think we just have to, we have to double down. So, and we have to, we just shouldn't wait to college for, like, we should be exposing people like yourself I would say, man, like maybe fifth or sixth grade, you know what I mean, to to to, to these entrepreneurs and and I'm, I'm entrepreneurs are, are like and, and I think that the other part is everybody is an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> so so I think, but there just has to be a new model, a new model, uh, in in what it is how we're teaching our kids. Um, there should be a skill set type of test like you know 
personality tests for our kids at a young age to develop their self-awareness. You know, how do they learn? You know, like, do they learn visually? Do they learn audibly? Do they learn through kinesthetically? You know, like, th these are things that uh, that our schools aren't necessarily giving our, our children at a young age. I was blessed because my mom, she's a therapist, so she kind of gave me these this stuff. Like, she, we, <laughs> me and my father and my brother say, we was like her, her guineas, right? But, it, but at a young age, uh, she kind of helped me to kind of give more uh, information on who I who I am, not just emotionally, but like you know, uh, skill set wise, you know, like leadership things like that. There's certain certain personalities work for certain positions in corporate America, in entrepreneurship, you know what I mean, uh, in being a blue collar and everything like that. So you know, so I think. It, we, we need those uh, those life lessons early. We got to get our kids early. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking as two people who've been in entrepreneurship, been employees, been an entrepreneur, sort of a, a mix of the two. Mm -hmm. And it's really about just the freedom to be able to choose and yeah. not be pigeonholed into to one path. And you're always going to have the corporate types who maybe have the money to invest and their childhood friends' entrepreneurial dreams, right? Because they have the financial security. So it all contributes to the, it, the uplift and advancement of us uh, yeah. as the Black community, no matter what path you choose. But to your point, choosing a path that really works for your temperament, your skill set, yeah. and your personality type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's very, very important. We, so it's, it's work that we have to do as, 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 as parents, but as a community. I think is is very very much important. So so how are you doing? <laughs> you know, as I know you were going to flip this on me. Um, so people who listen to the show regularly know this has been a, a lot of change over the last year for me. Starting a, a new chapter in my career, buying a home, moving, all of that great stuff, um, and adjusting on on that front, and then losing our father as well at the, at the top of the year. So then being in the grieving process while also pretty much being in isolation still. So um, through that, you know, it's it's been a difficult few months, but really what I appreciate about it, what I've come to appreciate is that if this had happened at another time, it would have been like right back to moving a hundred miles an hour uh, without really taking time to explore, not just how this specific loss has affected me, but also all the unresolved trauma that it called up. Mm -hmm. And being able to do that work and having the time and space to do that um, because so much of our regular lives are, are still suspended mm -hmm. has been hard work, but it's been great work. Uh, and I thankfully, you know, we're huge proponents of therapy on this show. So I had a great black female therapist before this happened and we had that relationship. So when this really traumatic event took place, which was not the first traumatic event in the last year. But when this took place, already had this relationship with someone to say, you know, this is affecting me deeply as anyone would expect it to, mm -hmm. but also it's calling up all this unfamiliar stuff that I didn't realize was there. Mm -hmm. um, so, so for me, you know, I feel like while I've been through a lot in the last few months, I feel like I'm evolving as a woman mm -hmm. and taking time to take stock 
of my origin story and some familial history and how that affected the choices that I make and really helped me to reevaluate what it is that I really want out of my life and what gives me joy and what makes me happy. And doing that outside of the scope of just checking a bunch of boxes, right? Like, okay, got to go to work, got to do this. What's the next move on the career? Uh, I'm going to buy this house. What are we doing next with the podcast? How are we building this media brand? So much of that is a lot of it's happening, but it's happening in a way that's uh, a bit stunted because we've all made this adjustment. So slowing down with all that has allowed me to say, okay, let me reevaluate and see, do all these things make me happy and do they bring me joy? And if they don't, how do I need to adjust it or what do I need to eliminate so that I I do feel genuine joy? So it's, it's been an interesting season, an interesting season for me. And I think, you know, DeMarcus as well just going through that grieving process pretty much by ourselves in that, you know, our friends can't be here. Our village can't be here. You know, our mom's here, of course, here and there. And our friends call and check in, but it it has really led to some deep introspective work for me, which I think has been really painful and a lot, but also incredibly beneficial. That's good. So, so with people not being there, how do you, embrace like socially like how how has that like because you know you it feels it sounds like you know you haven't been as interactive with other people so do you feel like it's kind of isolated you at times or do you feel like it was like the introspective work kind of caused you and i know we talked about isolation before isolation and solitude do you feel like it's been a a healing space to kind of connect with not just who you are but and deal with your, your history um, and the traumatic experience, but knowing clearer where you're going. Um, yeah, I think it's been a, a combination of the two because I was one of those introverts at the top of this quarantine. I was like, oh my gosh, like an opportunity to just take a break and be in my place and not have 42 invitations and obligations. Like this is scary what we're going through, but I'm using this time as a breather. So I think in the first part of it, the first half, I was just in that space of like, wow, just a time to just slow down and rest and, you know, make these transitions, but but not be pulled in so many different directions. Um, but one of the things that was revealed to me through this time is that I really value in-person interaction and human connection with people um, that I care about, people I share the same values with, that mm-hmm. exchange of ideas, which we've continued to do, right, virtually but there's nothing like in-person connection. So I think um, for me, it really opened my eyes to the importance of intimacy in my life, which can come in a lot of different forms Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I didn't really see it before. I I think before I was just like, you just keep going and you see your girlfriends for brunch, you date a little bit, you, you know, you try to find a life partner, you see your family for Sunday dinner here and there. And that's just a part of our lives that maybe I took for granted as well. Um, And when I say took for granted, I mean, we all talk about the mundane things that we now can't do. But what I mean by took for granted is how important that is to my emotional well-being, my Mm. personal development and my my growth as a woman. So while the introspective work is equally as important, an outgrowth of that has been seeing the value of social and human connection as well and, and how that plays into my desire for a marriage and family and and sharing and merging a life with someone Mm -hmm. as well. I think when you're just home and you have to be home (laughs) and and there's nobody to fill, you know, that gap even temporarily Mm -hmm. just with the casual 
dating that we do and the situationships, when all of that goes away because mm-hmm. our lives have changed so dramatically, mm-hmm. it can really lead you to assess is that is is a longstanding relationship uh, something that I really want, right? And I think I've been a long advocate of like finding joy and finding contentment, whether you have that or not. And I think what has changed for me now is you can still find the joy and contentment, but there's nothing wrong with voicing your need and desire for that as well, for companionship. And I think, you know, speaking as an independent woman, whatever you want to call it, you know, dream chaser, ambitious Uh person, there's nothing wrong with this, with voicing that vulnerability and that fragility to say, no, I I really want to do this thing called life with someone else. And I think that has been drawn out of me, not just by the pandemic. Like if you would have asked me a year ago, do you want to be married? I'd say, yeah, I'd say absolutely. Right. But I wouldn't dwell on it as a thing that I don't have. And it's something that's crucial to my uh, social, emotional development as a woman. Mm -hmm. Now, a year later of having made major life changes, suffered Mm -hmm. more than one loss, um, Mm -hmm. dealing with unresolved trauma that I thought was resolved, all those things and kind of coping with all that stuff in a place of isolation. What it what it revealed to me is like, no, no, like you really want this thing Mm -hmm. and it's okay to admit that. And it's okay to say like, yeah, I'm a complete whole person who's capable of Mm -hmm. killing the game, whether I have a partner or not, but that's not the life that I want for myself. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make me incomplete. It doesn't make me weak. It doesn't make me any of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's a natural desire to, to, to long for that. And it's a natural desire to have questions and maybe negative feelings about, am I going to get it as a black woman who fits into a category where statistics say I may not, right? And there's a higher likelihood that I will not. So yes, I think, you know, to your original question, it's, it's really been two, two parts for me. It has been the introspective work that I'm really grateful for, but an outgrowth of that is now seeing through a new lens, the important importance of connection and intimacy for me. Okay. So here this, you go, Al. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. This is good. Uh, so, uh, what is? Do you have a a plan? Like, I mean, because you know, as a you know, based on your work, you're a planner, right? So, mm-hmm. so do you have a plan on how you're going to engage and kind of see what's out there for for you? You know, I had this same conversation with my therapist just a few days ago. Uh And I told her what was scary for me was because I am such a planner that I don't know yet. And I don't know because I'm still in the grieving process, right? So going through that and going through healing and all this other stuff from what has been a really heavy couple of months, almost three months now, um, I was like, you know, I don't even have the the headspace and like the mental capacity to project manage and plan Mm -hmm. for this thing or these things that I really want. And that's also an uncomfortable place Mm -hmm. for someone like me, because I can always come up with a plan. And, um, you know, what she and I really established was that's a good place for me to be, right? To relinquish control a little bit and say, you know what, all I have the capacity for right now is today. Mm-hmm. And a plan will materialize and the next chapter and phase of my life will materialize. But for right now, I'm focused on my own 
emotional and psychological and physical well-being mm -hmm. and everything else is going to come and I'll focus on it when I can. But for today, all I can manage is today. And I may feel differently next week or the week after. And also, like, this is where I think faith and, and, and prayer and all that comes in and spirituality, because I told her, I was like, that's really all I have capacity for. But there is a part of me that's concerned that I don't have time to waste. Right. Like, I, I can't waste time just being in the moment, trying to go through grief at 39 years old. Mm -hmm. And I really had to get to a point of just relinquishing that. What really it is is fear. Right. Fear of quote, taking time off because this process is equally as valuable as, and maybe even more valuable as an investment into my future relationship than say, oh, I'm, I'm going to get back online or I'm going to do whatever. So that's, that's really where I am allowing myself to take the time that I need to, to really work through all these emotions and everything that has been you know, called up or is new, newly triggered uh, by the last couple of months. So, so that's where I am. I got you. I got you. So, this is this is this is great. Hold on, I'm sorry. Um, this is this is great. Um, uh, you taking us? Uh, you taking us back with 26er with the sirens? That's how I used to be when we first started recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but <laughs> that's funny. This is great because um, I, I want to bring my lady uh, in the conversation. I, I'm not sure if she if she would want to. Um, and the reason I I, I, I say this is because uh, the way we met, right? Um, we met in the pan during the pandemic, uh, and um, uh, and it was you know by really by happenstance. Um, uh, it was during a cycling event and, but how, however, so we, we met, um, and we didn't meet to the end of the, the event. And I'm saying this for a reason, because I don't really talk about, about stuff like this, but, uh, the way we met was at the end of the event. And, uh, however, somebody record, like recommended us to each other, you know what I mean? Like, so I think that also helped us to shorten the time of us, like, kind of going through a process of, you know, asking certain questions. We asked those questions anyway, but we kind of also trusted the people that that kind of uh, introduced us to each other. Right. Um, so I say that to say, uh, are you open to um, to like recommendations? Like, right. So like. Like and and not just any recommendations, but people that you trust, um, people who know you, uh, know what it is that you may think you want, but know what what you may need. Um, and then the other part too is having a guy's perspective, right? Um, because a lot of times, uh, <laughs> you know, we might choose people that from the outset looks good to us, but. You know what I mean? But, you know, when you when you have another woman recommend a woman to you that you trust, you might you feel a little bit like, OK, um, I think the same thing with a with a with a with a woman. Like if a guy that you trust because he kind of kind of vetted him, you know, is, is that something? And I'm saying this not just to you, but I'm, 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 I'm talking to everybody. Is that something that you guys are kind of willing to do? Um, 
honestly, at this juncture, I think that's my preference. Okay. Um, and, and, and people who are willing to think critically when they make the, the recommendation or the connection, as opposed to just you're single in a certain age, he's single in a certain age, y'all get together because there's not a lot of people out there, right? If you're thinking about it in a more critical manner, I'm not, I mean, I'm a person who has no desire to ever be online again, right? Yeah. I, I just, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, just that much communication with so many different people. Yeah. I don't have the time and space for it. Yeah. Also, because much, so much of me is online, which I didn't have to deal with 10 years ago yeah. in the, you know, the online dating landscape when it was not what it is today, but it doesn't take much to figure out who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so people come in with preconceived notions. Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know you were a podcaster. I didn't know you were this. I didn't know you were that. Um, so, so I actually like, I don't, I prefer not to meet people online at this juncture and not that that doesn't work for, you know, everybody. It does work for some people. For me, that's not my preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a man's perspective is incredibly important. And I actually just went through this where someone was like, I, I want to hook you up with this guy that that I, that we know. But my husband is completely blocking it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on with the husband and wife. And I'm like, bro, like, why are you blocking this? And he gave me his reasons. And he said, I'm coming from a guy perspective. This is my homie who is a great person. Mm-hmm. But when I think about it in relation to pursuit of you, mm-hmm. here's why I don't think he's ready for that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, if you're saying that as a man, mm-hmm. and this is your homie that you love and you you care for and have a great relationship with, I trust and respect that. And I'm not going to convince, try to convince you, like, you know, put that just aside, suspension of disbelief and just make it happen and let me, let me decide. I, I think it's important to allow people to see you through their lens, people that you trust and see prospective partners through their lens as well and, and offer their opinion, whether you agree with it or not to start. That's good. So one more question as, as we, <laughs> uh, are you willing, so are, are you willing to date uh, and this date uh, somebody who makes less than you? And uh, like, what does that, what does that look like? I have. Um, I'm not, first of all, if I were to say somebody has to make the same amount or more money than me, mm-hmm. I've been practicing law for 11 years, right? Like that, that is a, a bar that everybody's just not going to meet. Right. And I, and I know that. So I've never had that expectation. Mm-hmm. What I do have an expectation of is as a man, you need to be okay with the fact that if you don't make as much money as me, I don't see you as any less than. Mm. I don't see you as somebody that I need to control. It's none of that. It's more so, okay, you have these resources and I have have mine. How do we pull pull them, right? And create the life that we want together with the resources that we have. That's number one. Number two, I came out of law school in 2009. So that was after the Great Recession. When I was in my last year of law school, law firms were literally rescinding offers. So offering people these six-figure salaries and then taking them back because the economy had changed so much. So I know lawyers who have never recovered from that. 
career just went in a totally different direction than they expected. I know other lawyers who had a, a great career for a period of years and then something happened. They were like, I don't want to practice law anymore or I can't find a good job. I don't know what happened. So I said all that to say career and financial circumstances can shift on a dime. So basing your decision about a partner on that alone. And that doesn't mean I want somebody who just is jobless and has no direction. I'm not saying that, but basing a decision on whether somebody can match or exceed my income to me is so superficial at this point and so short-sighted because Mm -hmm. tomorrow, you know, I could decide I don't really want to do this either. So, or they can make all this great money and get fired or, or have make a different choice. So to me, that's not, um, it's not of utmost importance. It's more so about vision and confidence in the choices that you've chosen for your own professional path. And what does that look like? And so if you bring in that vision and confidence, I can get with that. And then we decide, okay, we've had these individual careers because I don't want to practice law forever. I can tell you that right now. Right. So we've had these individual careers. We've been on these, these wealth creation plans Mm -hmm. as individuals. Now, what does that look like as Mr. and Mrs. as a couple and with families. And hopefully that person is as passionate about generational wealth as I am. How do we build that together? So yeah, for me, it's just about, it's really about collaboration. But I would say in the past, um, I haven't felt, I haven't met men who I felt had done the internal work to be okay with that. Mm. That like you out, you out earn me, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to, where you're at in your career, you know, I talk to my financial advisor all the time a black man who's been on the show and we talk about what my next move is. And he's like, the next move for you is the big one, right? The next move is not the three, 10, 15% raise The the next move you make, that's the, you make four times what you do right now and your life and your children's lives are changed forever. Right. If things go the way I want them to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking about that, it just takes, someone who really has the right solid foundation to come alongside, I think, and realize he is not a supporting cast member in my movie. Mm -hmm. We're creating a new film together. Mm -hmm. That's all. I got you. I got you. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot. That takes, takes a lot of work. I was, I was talking to um, my, my lady, she, you know, she's, she's doing pretty well. And and, and sometimes, you know, uh, I come with vision, but you know, it's the, the external for the provision provision that uh that the culture kind of instills in and 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 fights uh for you know for for us as men and uh and some and that's a fight that's a struggle that you have an internal struggle that we don't necessarily know how to articulate uh when uh the lady that we're uh pursuing or with makes more. Um, I was reading an article that says that when men make more, I mean, when women make more than their man, uh, they feel stress, you know, they, they, they feel stress. So, so these are things that we de- definitely have to talk about, talk through and, uh, and just find a health, a healthy way to, um, to, uh, to articulate our feelings, but also have a vision for our family, you know, cause ultimately, you know, uh, like I said, it's about, uh, like you said, collaboration, you know, uh, you know, build the super team, you know, KD and Kyrie, they working together. They got James Harden, you know what I mean? And, and nobody is, is less than the other, you know, they all been MVP candidates or MVPs, 
You know what I mean? So if we could work, if if that could work on a team, you know what I mean? That could definitely work in relationships, especially in this day and time. You know what I mean? And let me say this. A question that I think women who are at a certain point in their career and financial journey have to ask themselves is because we all can say like, he doesn't have to make as much money than me. It doesn't matter. But you have to be honest about what lifestyle you've become accustomed to and what lifestyle you want to maintain and whether you're okay with getting married and having to continue to work to maintain that lifestyle. Because I think sometimes women will say, I'm okay with a man making less and a lot less. And then they have that first kid and they're like, I don't want to go back to work, but there's no way we can sustain the life that we've built on just his salary. And then there's all this resentment there, right? About what the man can't provide. So I think nobody can answer that question for you as a woman. Like you have to really ask the tough questions and say, if I'm going to build a life for this person and for us to, to reach our financial goals and for me to be comfortable in the lifestyle that I already have or that I want, it means that I am not leaving work, you know, my job and going to be, I'm not going to be a stay-at-home mom for 15 years. Like you got to be honest with yourself about that as a woman. I, I think, I think that's, that's really important because it's one thing to say something in theory and it's a whole other thing to really walk it out in reality. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, the therapy, the counseling, premarital counseling, uh, building these type of skill sets are very, very key because uh, a lot of women, their first generation wealth, you know what I mean? Their first generation to graduate from college, their first generation a lot, you know, in their family, you know what I mean? And then for some, first generation to be married, you know, so, so, you know, so it, this, a lot of this stuff doesn't come with a, a, a rule book or, or, or a book for, for us. I mean, you have to find, find the right type of material to help support this type of thinking, this type of mindset and what it is that you're trying to build. So I think, you know, this is, is, is new for a lot of, uh, a lot of women this is new for a lot of men. You know, we, we live, and I'm not trying to say it in, in this type of dynamic, uh, like a patriarchal society. So when things have kind of shifted, especially in the Black community, um, you know, we don't necessarily have the language, the skill, and the, the way to communicate and how to formulate these type of family structures to where uh, at a certain point in time, the dynamics might change where the man is working you know, more, or do you have extra income coming in, you know what I mean, to support the lifestyle that you want, you know? So, uh, so this, this, this is new. Right. It, it's new for both parties. And I can lay all the plans in the world about like who I think I am and how evolved I am as a woman, but I recognize my own humanity enough to know mm-hmm. that when the man shows up, there may be difficult conversation or in, inconvenient truths about myself that I'm going to have to face, mm-hmm. about him reevaluating what my expectations are. So it's easy to say what you're cool with in a vacuum, but like until it's staring you in the face, mm-hmm. right? And you want to build a, lo- a life with this person, you don't know some of the shifts that may happen. So I, I say all this stuff knowing it's going to be work, right? And it could be a moot point. I could meet somebody who blows me out of the water financially. I, you know, I don't know. 
but I'm not limiting myself to that. I'm just not. You're right. You're right. How are we doing with time? Are we are we good? Yes, we went way over what we said we were going to do. But I knew you were going to like flip the script and turn the tables on me and start interviewing me. We, we established that before we pressed the court. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, it's a conversation. So, but I do have two more questions. Okay, all right. First question is, people get vaccinated. We reach herd immunity. Life returns to some form of normalcy. What's the first thing Mr. Al Hardy is doing? Um... Man, hopefully we going going away on a on a on a real vacation. Agreed. <laughs> you know that's 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 the that's the goal. You know, I've been driving a lot of places. You know what I mean? So 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 uh, you know, taking like small weekend trips here here and there. Um, so you know, I, I I I'm around a lot of people around my family. You know what I mean? So I haven't been really wanting to go out you know, as much as, as I want to, but, you know, I try to do a, a weekend, you know, we went to like Baltimore, DC, um, uh, you know, a cabin, something like that. So we've done stuff like that. Um, but, you know, we want to fly somewhere, go somewhere. And really- yeah. I've been, I've been on the fence about, do you make a reservation for 2022 now? Because it's going to be really hard to get one, you know, later. And I've been getting all these emails from resorts and far flung places like book now, pay now, get a discount. We'll hold it. Uh, but my question is always, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I'm thinking about the risk. Like, are you still going to be open in a year if this yeah. goes on for much longer? Yeah. And will I get my money back if you're not? So um, I'm, I'm really on the fence about booking something now, but I also don't want to be stuck with the inability to get a flight or a reservation yeah. or the rates are just astronomical because demand is so high. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the other question is for people who are interested in your book and or your merchandise, where can they learn more? Um, so you could go to www.mralhardy.com uh, forward slash shop for the merch for the book. Uh, then you could just check me out on, uh, I'm on all social media platforms. I really engage on, on Instagram. Um, so that's where I kind of do my engagement at. Um, but, you know, go to the site, you can email me, I respond. Uh, you can DM me, I respond, you know, so, um, I'm just excited, you know, uh, with everything that's been going on. We, last year we started a podcast. We, did a book. I do this thing called Conversations with Dad, with my father, um, and that's just conversations with with uh, uh, elder generation. Uh, I always say that he's Motown. I'm Def Jam. He's Oscar Robinson. I'm I'm LeBron James. So you know we we kind of have those conversations between men generationally because we there's a missing gap there also. So so you know so he just gives his perspective as a CPA and an accountant. And, you know, it's just healthy conversation between two men. Uh, eventually, we'll probably get one of my sons on if they have time, even though it's, we are quarantined, you know, <laughs> you know, they'd like to do their own thing now. They're old now, so. <laughs> Got it. Well, listen, as always, this has been an enlightening conversation. I knew we would probably go down a rabbit hole that I didn't even prepare for. <laughs> uh, but as always, I appreciate the healthy exchange. <laughs>
no doubt, no doubt. Thank you, thank you, thank you to, to uh, Demarcus. And uh, please, like I said, everybody, please support our entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, uh, Delisha has had so many people here. Um, find them, uh, DM them, tell them that uh, Delisha sent you. Uh, that's, that, that's how we have to, to celebrate and, and support each other. Like their comments, write posts, write, you know, let's support, share this episode, share every other episode, and let's continue the conversation. Write comments below, all of this stuff, kind of helps our, act, um, our algorithm um, to, to, to kind of push the uh, this uh, the show forward. But then also with the mind that Demarcus and Delisha has, uh, uh, it they'll be able to empower our community even more. So let's support. Well, you did all the work for me. I, I don't even have to do a conclusion here. Uh, <laughs> but, and we appreciate that. We appreciate your support. And we are working on something uh, some micro content ideas to continue to highlight those who have been on the show and all of these brands that we'd like to support and continue to promote mm-hmm. so that we're all lifting as we climb mm-hmm. as well. So we'll be in touch, of course, and continue the connection to our listeners. You know what to do. You've enjoyed the episode. As Al has already so eloquently said, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that great stuff. Tell somebody about it. This book I might buy it, read it myself and gift it a couple of times. So if you're interested, check out MrAlHardy.com forward slash shop. Make sure you support his work and the work that he's doing. He's got some great apparel and other things over there as well. And just always remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.